My goal in class is to keep you engaged so that you're likely to pay attention and learn something. My real goal is to try and make class time make this class easier than if you don't come to class. So uh, if that's not happening, please come talk to me and we'll try and see what we can do to improve what I can be doing in class for you. Now, in order for you to be engaged, I need to be engaged. And so I'm gonna do very little PowerPoint because that's too predictable and I fall asleep. Not literally, but mentally, I have a tough time staying engaged. So what that means is class is gonna be mostly me trying to provoke questions out of you. Trying to get you to think about the things I'm saying and ask questions. So if we get 15 questions a day, that's good. If we get 30, that's better. Anybody have a question? It's surprising how many questions we can get in a class because I will record my lectures and post them. Now, the main reason I do that, and I've been doing that for longer than you, most of you have been alive, maybe all of you, um, is because taking notes in my class is pretty hard. It's hard because I don't follow, here's the first thing you need to know, here's the next thing you need, here's the next thing you need. I want it to be more problem-based discovery type thing. So we're gonna get an idea, we're gonna try and tackle that, we're gonna learn about what happens as a result. And that doesn't flow to nice organized notes. But I'd rather you be engaged and thinking through what's going on than having an alternative to the textbook. The textbook has a nice flow and I will say that the textbook for this class that we won't start using until week five is the best undergraduate textbook that I'm aware of. I think it's a really good book. So I'd encourage you to try and learn to how to read it, even if you haven't been reading your textbooks in the past. It does a really nice job. And what makes it a good textbook is that the explanations are clear it provides lots of sample code so you can look over the code and see what's going on. And it is laid out in a logical way. So I would recommend reading the textbook section by section rather than control F, control F. Because one of the big things that the textbook provides is a logical progression. If you just search and get a little snippet of something, you can do that on the internet just as easily. You might not know the veracity of what you're, you're getting, but the textbook provides a linear flow of thought that should build on itself. And so I'd recommend using the textbook. Uh, I try to give you feedback. So if you ask me questions, I try to get back to you very quickly. But I also sleep sometimes, and I try not to work my entire life. So I try to not work on Sunday. So my goal is to not respond to anything you send me on Sunday. And because I sleep, and I tend to sleep on a 
time zone somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, you probably won't hear from me after 7 p.m. Um, 7 to 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. is kind of my out of time zone. So if you send me something after six or seven, you probably won't hear from me until the next morning. We have lab on Thursday. So my plan is to have labs due Tuesday and have them graded and back to you by Wednesday so that you can use the feedback that I give you on future labs. For me, it's very important for me to give you feedback on your labs when they're still fresh in your mind so that you can read through the feedback and then actually learn from it rather than, huh, wonder what that means because it's been a couple of weeks since I've looked at that lab. Now, I spend a lot of time doing that, so I would ask, maybe just as a courtesy, maybe because it would be useful for you to actually look at the feedback I give you. Um, okay, so, and if you're sending me questions on lab, again, remember, I fall asleep pretty early in the day, and so you might not get a reply if you start working on lab at 7 p.m. and expect to finish it by 11 p.m. Uh, labs are due at 11 p.m. We will start the lab with a quiz. So, and my quizzes are one sheet of paper, one or two questions. So they're, they're not like a, a small exam. They really are small. 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, you should be done with a the quiz. Then we'll go over the quiz and then we'll continue working on lab. So. My plan is labs are due Tuesday night. Wednesday, we have class. And in that class, we're gonna spend, that's gonna be our activity day, where essentially what I intend to do is have you work on homework and labs if you're done with the homework. And I am just gonna be around to, to help you with that. My office is in the opposite corner of this building, but you can't get to it without going through another office. So even though it's DH411, you're not gonna find DH411 on any of the doors. You gotta go through DH412. This class is one where you can pretty much find the answers to everything we're gonna do, right? We're not doing anything that's that uh, novel, esoteric, or isn't done before. ChatGPT can do almost all of our stuff. Maybe well, maybe not. The goal of this class is not to finish the lab assignments. The goal of this class is for you to learn from that so that you won't be replaced by ChatGPT, right? If, if all you're doing is asking somebody else to give you the answers and then spinning them back, somebody's eventually gonna figure out that they can just bypass the middleman and go to whatever, right? So the goal of this class is really to help you build those skills so that you can then carry those forth in your other classes to bigger and better things. So today we're supposed to be doing an introduction and review of object-oriented programming. We're gonna continue that on whatever day we have lecture next, which I think is Friday. But essentially what I wanna do this week is get you so that you're successful on the lab. But 
My goal here this week is to just refresh. You've had a month to forget everything you learned. Uh, refresh some of the stuff that you've been doing. Talk about file I.O., exception handling, and then just kind of a, a, an overview of where we're headed. Actually, before we get to that, this page, the outcomes page, is very valuable. This is what I would use, this is what I would recommend you use to study for the weekly quiz that we do in lab. Look over, what is this? This is my guide for what I'm gonna teach. So because I don't come in with a script of what I'm gonna cover, what I do is I take a look at this before class, and then I come in and try and come up with an experience for us to have that covers this material. When I write exams, I look at this stuff and try and come up with questions based off of what's here. Um, so use this if, and, and one thing that I've, students have done in the past that I think can be really helpful is if you don't take notes and you just try and pay attention, one of the things you could do when you're studying is to go through each of these and try and summarize what does it mean. When you get to the final exam, having all of these with short explanations in your own words can be really uh, helpful for making it easy to study for that final because you got everything that was important summarized briefly. And then as you're going through, you might say, well, I don't know about this one. That's a great thing to ask a question about in class because sometimes I might not cover one. Uh, and so if you notice that, you can call me out on it. I should also point out that one of the things that I uh, like to do is to not think too carefully so that I can make some mistakes during class. Why? Because I want you to be thinking through, does what I'm saying make sense rather than just assume that it does? And so you should feel very comfortable making a fool of me, or at least uh, pointing out things that I'm doing wrong. I'm very happy to do stuff wrong uh, in front of you. Maybe even behind your back. Okay, um, so let's just talk through how class goes. So the first week is review and getting through this first lab. This first lab is aggressive. There's a lot that you need to do. I want you to build up some confidence that you're ready for this class. And I want you to know, I want you to be able to let me know if this is a really heavy lab for you, that you're coming in and you're talking to me so that we can get, get you through it. The second week and the third week build off of this lab, but aren't quite as much work. So getting through this first week and this first week lab will be a really good sign that you're ready to be successful the rest of this term. The second week, we're gonna start talking about JavaFX. Now, JavaFX is a framework for building graphical user interfaces that likely none of you will ever use out in the wild. Now, why would we be teaching you something that useless? Yeah. Uh, it's not where we use easier stuff, it'll be really easy. 
Okay, yeah, so that's one possibility it, that we'll teach you something that's hard so that everything else looks like it's easy in comparison. Um, we're using this because it's the best that we have for Java. Um, Java FX is kind of Java's third attempt at creating graphical user interfaces and it didn't take off the way they thought it would. But it provides a lot of the same um, strategies for graphical user interfaces as Android or iOS development or web development. And so the principles that we're going to learn as part of this will be useful even outside, even if you never implement a JavaFX uh, application in real life. One of the key components with graphical user interfaces is that instead of your program just running, your program just runs. Now, what's the difference between those two? In the second one, it's just sitting there. It's not actually running anything useful. It's waiting for the user to do something, right? All the programs you've written so far, you say run, it does its thing and it stops. And maybe it's waiting for user input, you type something in, and then it goes from that point. With graphical user interfaces, you might have lots of different things that you could do depending on what the user does, how the user interacts, right? If they click on this button, it should do one thing. If they click on this button, it should do something else. If they type in this text box, it should do something else. If they scribble around on the screen, it maybe it does something else. And so event-driven programming is programs that are doing nothing until it reacts to an event. And so that's what we'll be talking about next week is how do we react to events? How do we connect code to a button or to somebody typing something? And so that's what we'll be talking about next week. In the process of talking about that, we're going to end up talking about inner classes. Have you talked about inner classes? You didn't talk about inner classes. So you probably were told last semester that in Java, each Java file has one class in it and only one class in it. Turns out that was a lie. Um, and when I started teaching here, one of the things that I learned from one of my mentors was that education is the art of lying to your students less and less. Um, we, we oversimplify things and then as you build up a framework, we'll dig into the details and provide, you know, well, it's actually not quite that simple. It turns out you can't have multiple classes in the same file. You can declare a class inside of another class. That's why it's called an inner class. And we'll talk about creating classes inside of other classes and why we might want to do that. It has to do with privacy. FXML allows us to describe the layout of our user interface with a markup language. Instead of specifying which button to create first, which button to create second, which text field to create next, instead we just provide a list of all of the buttons and text fields and whatever other UI elements we want to have and where we want them to be located and we allow the software to determine what order to build them in. So we describe what but not how. FXML then allows us to attach functionality to the different UI elements through a controller 
and then our model code is what contains the logic of our program. And so this ends up with something called a model view controller design pattern that we'll use when we do FXML. That's going to move us into functional programming. Functional programming and object-oriented programming were kind of two strategies for how to write code. And then procedural programming were kind of three different strategies for how to write code. And functional lost. Object-oriented basically took over the world as this is the right strategy. Well, functional programming is coming back in vogue. The key difference, at least in my mind, between object-oriented programming and functional programming is that in object-oriented programming, what we try to do is we try to, to group data and behavior that acts on that data in one object. With functional programming, what we do is we treat function as data. So now we can pass around behavior to different things. So we can say, I want you to use this strategy for calculating something, or I want you to use this strategy for calculating something. We can specify operations by passing those in, or we can have a function, or we can have a method that returns a function. So maybe what we want to do is median or mean or something else, and we specify that to some random number generator that says, okay, apply this operation to it instead of this operation. So one of the things that's really nice about functional programming is it makes parallelizing things much easier so that it's possible, and this is one of the reasons that functional programming is coming back in style, is that we basically maxed out our ability to make processors faster, and so we just make lots and lots of processors. And so a lot of the graphical user, the graphics cards that we have available today are basically a bunch of like thousands of really small processors. And if you have a way of taking something that you need to do and breaking it up and, and then combining it back together, you can get through a lot of computation quickly. And functional programming allows us to do that. And we'll talk more about that. That's essentially the first three or four weeks. And then we get into the data structures topics. The data structures topics are essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out how do we store large amounts of data in memory in an efficient way. And that may vary depending on what we want to do with that data, what's efficient. If we're always adding to the beginning of our data set, that may be easier in some ways of storing it or in other ways of storing it. And so we'll talk about many different, well, five or six different ways of, of storing collections of data and the advantages and disadvantages of those. We'll talk about algorithm efficiency and big O time complexity as ways of measuring how performant is a given algorithm without actually coding it up and taking and timing how long it takes to run. We'll do that and we'll find that it's really annoying. In fact, you'll probably get to do two or three really annoying labs like that. And we'll also talk about 
from a theoretical perspective. The data structures that we're going to talk about are array lists. You've already seen array lists. We're going to implement our own really bad version of an array list because we're not going to spend enough time on it to make a good version. But we'll talk about the differences between our bad version and the good version. Um, we'll talk about something called a linked list. We'll then talk about iterators. We're also going to toss in some other topics like how do you do testing on your code. We'll talk about stacks and queues that are actually interfaces rather than implementations of a data structure. We'll then move on to binary search and recursion. Recursion is a method that calls itself. We'll then talk about binary trees and binary search trees, which are another way of storing information. Talk about sets and maps and hash tables. We'll then spend some time talking about sorting and there are people who have dedicated their entire lives to sorting stuff. And most of the time, they're not actually sorting. They're just thinking about sorting. And then they're thinking about sorting some more. Now, why do people spend their entire lives thinking about sorting? So they can get an algorithm called TimSort named after him. Now, it turns out Tim's last name is not sort, but all right, well, it's the best we could do. Um, so there are a bunch of different sorting algorithms because that's something the computer does a lot. And if it can sort, sort efficiently, maybe even 5% faster, that's, that could save a lot of energy. And, and so, yeah, we spend time on that. Then we'll talk about asymptotic time complexity again, and then asymptotic space complexity. So that's, uh, has nothing to do with the space force. It's more how much memory is your algorithm taking up? 